0: Now, what defines a good leader? Are strong leaders what a country needs to be successful? Often we talk about strength as a real positive in that respect, but renowned political scientist Archie Brown challenges the widespread beliefs about leadership in his book The Myth of the Strong Leader. And in celebration of TBS eFM's ninth anniversary, we have a special interview with the man himself, Professor Brown out of Oxford University. Thank you so much for speaking with us. It's a pleasure. And so you've spoken about strong leaders who dominate colleagues and the policy-making process. What is your definition exactly, though, of a strong leader?
1: Well, I think of a strong leader as one who maximizes his power vis-a-vis colleagues, political party, cabinet and government. Somebody who wants to take all the big decisions in every policy area. And, of course, the problem with that is that the more big decisions they take themselves in different areas of policy, the less knowledge they have of each.
0: And this is generally restricted to political leadership, your own work. Do you you suspect, though, that it could apply to all kinds of leadership?
1: My book is essentially on political leadership, but I think that many of the uh, general arguments I make apply to leadership in organisations. I can recall cases in in my college in Oxford, where the head of the college had um, thought that some decision was absolutely sewn up, and uh, he had made promises to other people. He'd spoken to individual members of the governing body and um, persuaded them. When it came to the governing body, there was one person on that body who knew more about it than anyone else. And he gradually swung opinion round and uh, in the end the head of the college was defeated. So uh, I think this is an illustration of the fact that uh, one person should not be allowed to take a decision themselves, that other members of a collective leadership should be allowed to hear the arguments and they may then decide that the person at the top of the hierarchy had got things wrong.
0: How do we deal with the uh, apparent conflict here? This idea that to get elected often strength is something that's seen as a positive in the electorate's eyes Um, you've got to have a clear idea about policies you're not going to be able to stand up and say well on every decision I'm going to um, go behind closed doors and make an informed decision with um, with with my colleagues I mean while of course that would be a sensible approach you you need to come out with your own bold ideas don't you if you want to be an elected leader
1: I think it's possible to have bold ideas which you don't necessarily say are the ideas of the individual leader, but the the ideas of the party. Uh, in British politics, for example, um, the immediate post-war Labour government came out with very bold ideas that changed a great deal in British politics. But Clement Attlee, um, the leader of the Labour Party and Prime Minister, he, he was not the dominant policymaker. It was very much um, a collective party policy that was put to the country. In contrast, Margaret Thatcher was very much um, the dominating person within her government. But, you know, you can have a strong government which uh, which introduces significant change without putting a huge amount of power in the hands of one individual.
0: But why why does the electorate keep time and time again in various countries a- appointing the the man or, or the woman that uh, seems to be standing alone, uh, not necessarily united with a party? Obviously, a certain Donald Trump is uh, an example of someone who's both uh, part of the Republican Party, but certainly apart from it too.
1: Yes, it, it does seem to be the case. Um, that We've got a lot of evidence for that, that people... Um want a strong leader, and they're encouraged to want a strong leader by a lot of the mass media, it seems to me. Um, And it was the case that in 2016 uh, it it was quite a salient factor, um, people wanting a strong leader. We've got survey research showing it was twice as important in 2016 as it was in 2012 when Obama was elected for the second time. People wanted a strong leader, and they saw Trump as a strong leader. But Trump, to my mind, is a good example of why we should not um, just link strong leadership with effective leadership, because he's by no means been an effective leadership. He's got practically nothing through Congress, and he's alienated a great many um, allies of the United States. So, um, you know, the whole idea that strong leadership equals good leadership, that's something I think we need to question, and that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Why do we need a leader at all? Why not um, vote in a, a body, a body of, of multiple people um, who who take decisions collectively and and vote for that ideal or set of policies rather than the individual?
1: I think we do need leadership. That um, uh, if you if you have a six hundred people and um, there is no leadership within that group, I, I think it would be a pretty anarchic assembly. Uh, but uh, that's where political parties come in. They provide cohesion, and um, uh, if they're sensible, a collective leadership. Uh, It's not always the case that the person who purports to be a strong leader and tries to be a strong leader um, is successful electorally. We had an election in Britain earlier this year in which the Prime Minister Theresa May presented herself as a strong leader, and the whole election was fought around her personality, providing strong and stable leadership, and she managed to turn a majority into a minority government. So that was strikingly unsuccessful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suspect part of that was because she knew that people didn't see her as a strong leader in the first place, but but it's, it's indeed... Well,
1: it's that, uh, you know, to have a cult of a strong leader, it helps if the leader does have a personality, yes.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got the extreme examples of, uh, countries like North Korea, let's say, uh, less extreme, but still very different from these Western models. A uh, China, for example, with Xi Jinping being now portrayed as being the China's strongest leader since, uh, Mao Zedong. And, and, you know, obviously North Korea's family dynasty goes on. We've got Vladimir Putin in Russia. These are strong personalities who don't seem to be, as penetrable as, uh, at least penetrable to open criticism, as some of the other examples we could give. Um, what, what do you make of those models?
1: I think it's definitely the case that a um, strong leader within an authoritarian regime is different from a strong leader within a democracy. I um, mean, Trump, of course, aspires to be a strong leader, but there are all sorts of checks and balances uh, still in the United States. Um, in Britain, somebody like Margaret Thatcher, who was in in terms of a democracy, a strong leader. In the end, she was overthrown by her cabinet colleagues because they tired of the conviction she had that she was always right. And um, the in the case of authoritarian regimes, what I would argue is that a collective leadership is a lesser evil than one-person dictatorship. I mean, if you look at China, the years of Mao's dominance, were well, the years of the Cultural Revolution, and uh, the earlier, the Great Leap Forward, and between them, they were responsible for tens of millions of premature deaths. And the period since Mao, until Xi, um, was, has been a period of more collective leadership and undoubtedly a period of success, economic success, uh, tremendous development in comparison with the Mao years. Similarly, the Soviet Union, the worst years were those of Stalin's personal dictatorship and the post-Stalin years in the Soviet Union, more collective leadership, were still highly authoritarian, but definitely a lesser evil compared to Stalin's personal role.
0: And I, and I know the area of uh, those communist regimes is a particular expertise of yours, uh, and you've written about transformational leaders as being particularly worthy of our attention. Can you just elaborate a little bit further on that?
1: I'm setting the bar quite high when I use the concept of transformational leader. I'm talking about transformation of the system, systemic transformation, whether in the case of Gorbachev um, that I meant transformation of the Soviet political system It finished up very, very different from what it had been when he came to power, um, it introduced political pluralism, competitive elections, um, more freedom than had been known in the whole of Russian history. Um, Deng Xiaoping, in contrast, um, kept the political lid on, but he transformed the economic system. He played a decisive role in turning China into essentially a market economy, a mixed economy with state enterprises and private enterprises. And so, again, he played a, a role in which he was responsible for systemic change, econ- change of the economic system, transformation of it. At the same time, in comparison with President Xi, He didn't at all encourage a cult of his own personality. When Deng Xiaoping's theory was written into the Constitution, that was after Deng Xiaoping was dead. Whereas now we find with President Xi that his ideas are being written into the Constitution while he's very much alive.
0: Well, Professor Brown, thank you so much. It's, It's been a pleasure having you on the line with us. Thank you. Archie Brown, the author of The Myth of the Strong Leader, if you want to go further into that subject.